Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 28, Sophia and Galitsyn, Keeping the Throne Warm for Peter. Last episode, we followed Tsar Peter as he grew up in Priobrazhenskoy, playing war games with his friends. He also developed his love of ships at this time, which was to have huge implications for Russia in the not-too-distant future. Luckily for Peter, he had all this free time, as his half-sister Sophia was running things as the unnamed regent behind Tsars Ivan and Peter. When Sophia made her grab for power with the help of the Streltsy, she was a mere 25 years old. Her uncle, Ivan Miloslavsky, the Streltsy commander, Fyodor Shaklovity, and the monk, Sylvester Medvedev, were three of the main advisors to Sophia. But there was one other who reportedly had the greatest influence on her, and it was Prince Vasily Vasilievich Golitsyn. Golitsyn was a brilliant statesman who believed that Russia needed to westernize to become great. He conversed in Latin. He collected art, books, and maps from all over Europe, which he proudly displayed throughout his house. Vasily was 39 and married with a number of children when he became the de facto prime minister. Sophia was said to be in love with him, but there is little evidence that they were lovers. While privately holding power, Sophia had to publicly stay in the shadows during official ceremonies. But everyone knew who was boss. Foreign dignitaries would present themselves to the boy Tsars one day, and to Sophia the next. Her reign, lasting seven years, was a mixed bag. She and Golitsyn had a number of international policy successes over the years, such as the continuation of the Treaty of Cadiz with Sweden. It meant that the Russians gave up claims in Finland and the Baltic ports, but it no longer had to worry about invasion from the north, which was important as the government coffers were still barren. The next treaty to keep in place was with their arch enemies, the Poles. This one was important for Sophia, as the Russians held the ancient Orthodox city of Kiev, and the Poles wanted it back. Jan Sobieski was the legendary Polish leader at the time, a famed general who had a bigger enemy than the Russians, and they were the Ottoman Turks. Sobieski had led a Christian army which held off the Turks at the very famous Battle of Vienna. What the Poles needed was the military support of Moscow, which they got. While seemingly a win for the Russians, beware of getting what you want, because the repercussions may be worse than the prize you get. What Sofia and Galitsyn promised was that they would attack the Crimean Turkish holdings, which would tie up a large portion of the Ottoman military, allowing the Europeans to push back and protect their borders. An interesting note about this agreement with the Poles was brought out by author Robert Massey in his book, Peter the Great, which I highly recommend. Now, he did write this book during the time of the Sino-Soviet tensions, which need to be taken into account when you hear what he stated. Quote, one consequence of Sophia's decision to make war in the South still affects the modern world today. Remote in time though it may seem, 
her decision to attack the Tatars had an important bearing on and even helped to originate the Far Eastern boundary dispute between the Soviet Union and China. Having decided to make a maximum effort against the Tatars, Sofia and Galitsyn suspended all other Russian territorial ambitions. The momentum of the advance to the Pacific was abruptly halted. By the mid-17th century, Russian soldiers, traders, hunters, and pioneers had reached and conquered the basin of the Amur River, which make a vast looping circle around the territory now known as Manchuria. For years, under increasing Chinese pressure, frontier soldiers had been sending desperate appeals to Moscow for reinforcements. But Sofia, reducing her commitments, sent not reinforcements, but a diplomatic mission headed by Fyodor Golovin to work out a peace with the Manchu dynasty. The negotiations took place in the frontier post of Nerchinsk on the upper Amur River. Golovin was at a disadvantage. Not only had Sofia ordered him to make peace, but the Chinese brought up a large fleet of armed junks and surrounded the fort with 17,000 soldiers. In the end, Golovin signed a paper which gave the whole of the Amur Basin to the Chinese. Subsequently, the Russians claimed that the treaty had been based not on justice, but on the presence of so many menacing Chinese military force. In 1858 and 1860, the tables were turned, and Russia took back 380,000 square miles of territory from an impotent China. Now, Tsar Nicholas I had approved the seizure of the territory at that time, but in the time of the 1970s when the book was written, this disputed land had amassed the largest number of hostile armies and men in the same region in human history. Millions and millions of troops stood across the line drawn in the Treaty of Nichinsk with the possibility of war looming. Luckily for all of us, the fight never happened, as it could have had nuclear consequences. Now going back to Sofia, to top all of this off, this agreement with the European powers to fight against allies of the Turks was eventually the catalyst that was to bring Sofia's reign down. The main reason was that while Golitsyn was a brilliant minister, he was not a capable general. The fight that Golitsyn picked was with a mortal enemy of Russia, the Crimean Tatars, the last powerful remnant of the Mongol horde. They were still raiding Russian territory and capturing Russian men, women, and children, selling them into slavery at the markets in Istanbul. They were also supplying troops to the Ottoman Turks, which is why the Eastern Europeans were so anxious to have Russia tie them up in a major conflict. Unfortunately for Sofia and Golitsyn, their armies had to go it alone. Excuses abounded from the Poles, Lithuanians, and the Austrians as to why they just couldn't help. Despite the protestations of many Russian army generals, a grand army was assembled. Many of the generals did not believe that this was a winnable war. Now, problems cropped up almost immediately at the start of the 1687 campaign. First, the target, the Tatar capital of Bakhchisari, was over a thousand miles away. 
Second, while the Russians were on the march, the Tatars began to burn the land ahead of the advancing army, denying them of food, which made Golitsyn retreat back to Moscow. Sofia gave him a hero's welcome, despite losing 45,000 out of the initial 100,000-man army without ever coming in contact with the enemy. This, obviously, did not endear Sofia and Golitsyn to the boyars in Moscow. In 1688, the Tatars attacked the Ukraine, coming so far as to even threatening Kiev and Poltava, capturing 60,000 prisoners. Golitsyn now was forced to gather another army of over 100,000 men and cavalry to attack the Tatars. This time, in late May of 1689, a battle ensued. The Russians almost broke, but a stalemate came about with the Tatar Khan rejecting all peace offers. Messages from the front reached Moscow, with Sofia claiming another victory, but many knew it was a lie. The regent even sent a message to Golitsyn, which read, Oh, my joy, light of my eyes, how can I believe my heart that I am going to see you again, my love? That day will be great to me when you, my soul, shall come to me. If it were only possible for me, I would place you before me in a single day. Losses in the campaign were estimated at 20,000 dead, 15,000 taken as prisoners, according to the diary of the foreign officer advisor, Francis Lafort. Resentment of Sophia and Galitsyn reached a boiling point when Peter refused to greet Galitsyn when he returned from the Crimean conflict. Something had to give as Peter knew the time was ripe for him to step up and take charge. Next week, we follow the rapid downfall of Sophia and the ascent of Peter to his rightful place as Tsar in power as well as in name. Now, usually I do the This Week in Russian History segment, but while doing my research, alas, not much really happened in the week of November 21st through the 27th. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit the iTunes App Store and download the Russian Rulers app. And for those of you in America, I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving. I will have another Slapshot episode uh, coming up shortly. Uh, from the book A History of Russia by Ryazanovsky and Steinberg. Uh, just don't forget to visit the website at russianrulers.podhoster.com. Join me and become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Ask a question, make a suggestion, and please leave a comment. And as always, Dasvidanya Ispasiba Bolshoya.